just recently this week, I have been um, moving uh, from Michigan, moving all my things. They've been in storage for like a year and a half. Um, because I like to, I'm a penny pincher. I like to save money. So I thought to myself, you know, I could hire a budget truck one way from Michigan. It would cost me around $675 without the gas and perhaps other fees that may come with that. And so I looked and I said, well, you know, I could rent a Dodge Ram, you know, pickup truck, fit all our stuff in there and then get a trailer from U-Haul, which would be like $20, $30 a day, drive it down from Michigan to Fayetteville and then drive it back. Because if you drive it one way, they add an extra $500 charge, which is why the budget truck would be cheaper normally. Now you, you calculate the gas and everything and you figure it'll still be cheaper. So this week, Sunday, I went for my aunt's um, Saturday night, Chicago, her 60th birthday party. And uh, lo and behold, as I'm driving over to Michigan on Sunday, uh, I find out that a friend of mine was getting married. So they're like, hey, you're in town. So this person's gonna pick you up from Union Station, train station and they're gonna drive you to the wedding. So I rode with them to the wedding, went to the wedding, got a ride down to Ann Arbor, slept at midnight, woke up and arrived, called Enterprise, said, hey, I need a, I need a ride to your store. They said, sorry, the driver, uh, she got lost, stuck in traffic, so, uh, so yeah, you're gonna have to take an Uber car and we'll reimburse you off of your rental. No problem, call Uber, it says 2.5 times the normal cost. So I'm like, uh, should I wait? They said, this fee, this, this price lasts another three minutes. So I was thinking, nah, I should be all right. So I, I took the Uber car, got to Enterprise, walk in, and she says, okay, I need your credit card and your ID. So I hand her my North Carolina license, and I hand her my Bank of America card. But I don't use credit cards. I studied finance in college. I understand credit cards, how they work, the lives that they destroy. And there's, of course, some responsible people in here. Uh, who've had their habit under control in moderation. Amen? So, but I know when you're at Macy's sometimes, you know, you just need to do what you need to do. Right, ladies? So. But anyway, so she looks at me. She says, well, if you have an out-of-state license, you must have a major credit card. I said, well, I don't do credit cards. She says, well, then we can't rent to you because you have a North Carolina license. So does that mean you're not going to reimburse my Uber trip? Yes, that's exactly what that means. And now I'm stuck downtown Ann Arbor with no rental car. So she says, well, you can go to Hertz up the street. So I call Hertz. They say, yeah, we can rent to you, no problem. They take an hour to pick me up, sitting at the bus stop with my luggage and everything. They finally pick me up to go to Hertz. Do they have to do a credit check? That's how they basically do it. Everything goes well, get the truck, find out that the truck has a cover on it that's bolted to the back, to the bed of the truck. So you can't put a bed in there because the top will close down and it's not gonna stand up high enough for me to put the bed in there. Or the couches. So I'm like, okay, this is not what I was thinking. They're like, well, this is what we have. Do you want it or not? Now I'm thinking, I have no ride. So I need to take something. So I decide to go with this pickup truck. After I get this pickup truck, I drive over to U-Haul, get the trailer, six by 12. Then I drive over and I say, you know, I have to start heading for Berrien Springs where all my stuff is. So I drive to Berrien Springs with this trailer. Three hour drive. Get down there, my wife calls, she says, this is the address, this is everything, no problem. 
finds out she forgot to mail me the key for the lock of the storage. Trust me, the story is going somewhere. So after I, I went there to the U-Haul, I mean the, the storage place, I walked to the lady, I said, look, my wife forgot to mail me the lock. Can you guys cut? She said, we don't have anything to cut the lock. I mean, this whole establishment, I think, is run out of their home. Because I walked in, in the waiting room is the washer and dryer. And then uh, back, I saw her grilling. And something, what kind of business? And I wanted to make sure I was in the right place. So my wife said, look, if it looks like it's somebody's house, it's the right place. <laughs> okay. So she says, we can't do anything to cut your lock. You have to do that on your own. So I'm thinking, all right, so I go to Lowe's, get a bolt cutter, <laughs> find out my wife got the circular locks, right, which is hardened metal. Bolt cutters are designed to cut soft metal, but this is stainless steel, completely hard. You can't, so I have an 18-inch bolt cutter. I'm literally doing push-ups on this thing to try to close it to cut the thing, but it's not cutting. I've only gotten in maybe a third of an inch. I'm thinking, this is unbelievable. It starts raining. So I, so I jump in the truck, wait for the rain to stop, and I was thinking, okay, Lord, I don't know what this is about. So finally, I get fresher. I call a locksmith up the street, South Bend. This guy, I'm talking to this old guy. He's clearly an old man. And I say, well, sir, how much would it cost for you to do this? He starts laughing. He said, oh, don't do me like that. I'm like, I just want to know the price before I ask for the service. It'll be fine. We'll get the lock off. Uh, just give me your location, your cell phone number. So I've given the information, and then after I hang up on my Apple Maps, it has reviews at the bottom. And the first review says, do not get this guy. Stay as far away if he charges more than everybody else. So I call him back, say, hey, I, I got it figured out. Thanks, don't come. Of course, I don't have it figured out. I'm thinking, how am I going to get my luggage out of this thing? Now, mind you, I have to drive all the way to Fayetteville and back by Wednesday morning. This is Monday. So I'm thinking, I need to be on the road. So finally, I go back, call my brother-in-law and my wife, and he's like, well, try to get a bigger bolt cutter. He's like, if you get 36, that can cut anything. So I go back to Lowe's. The biggest they have is 24. So I'm like, I have no choice. Take this bolt cutter. Of course, I'm doing push-ups on this thing. Literally, both hands, my, all my weight, pulling this thing. Finally, after 30 minutes of this, the thing breaks. But it's so thin in the break, I can't pull it off the door. <laughs> so I said, okay. So I'm wrestling, I'm twisting literally the door of the storage. Finally get this thing off. I throw the lock as far as I can throw it. That's not proper recycling, but I am green. I'm supportive of that. So I threw this lock into the woods. Start looking into stuff. Now I have a huge queen size, you know, mattress, uh, box spring, couches, right? I have to live by myself because the guy was supposed to come because it took so long for me to break the lock, he couldn't come anymore. So now I'm lifting these things by myself into this truck. Hurry up, load up the truck, realize can't load our chairs, which my wife loves very much. I'm glad she's not here listening to this right now. So I left those chairs <laughs> by the side of the road. So drive off. As I'm driving off, I'm like, man, I have to get going. So the next day, I said, well, let me pick up my uh, TV and my iMac, 27-inch, right, from a friend's house. Go there. I'm getting it that night. It's probably almost midnight. Pick up the computer, I mean, the uh, TV. Look at the box. The box is empty. 
I'm like, this is weird. So I opened the box, no computer. No keyboard, no mouse. He's like, I don't know where it is. <laughs> I'm like, this is a $2,000 computer. So I make some phone calls. Next morning, I find out this person asked this person. So I called this individual. I say, hey, do you know where my computer is? Yeah, it's in Adrian. Sorry, I took it. Me and my friends have been making some music on it. Okay, let me call the guy, wake him up. So I drive over, I said, I'll be at your place 30 minutes. So I go to pick this guy up. We're driving to his friend's house. He's talking to his friend's mom where he's living. He's apparently separated from his wife, which is where the computer used to be. So we're driving to Adrian, Michigan. As I'm driving to Adrian, Michigan, his mother, the guy's mother who has my computer, starts cursing us out. I don't know anything about your computer. Bleep, 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 bleep. Hang up. I say, okay. No problem. So we start driving there. I stop by a police department. I say, listen, I just need a police assist. I don't want any drama. <laughs> I just want to get my computer and get on the road. They say, no problem. Officer meets you. Go to the door. The daughter comes out. She says, hi. I said, look, my understanding is the computer is here. She says, sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. We don't know anything. We told him to take the computer. My mom kicked him out. He said, so do you, the officer says, would well, you mind if we come and look around then? No, you can't come in. Do you have a search warrant? He's like, well, if you have nothing to hide, why do we need to get a search warrant? Because I want this to be legal, da 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 So next year I get a phone call from the guy. He's sitting in the truck. He says, I saw the guy with the computer upstairs in the window. <laughs> so I said, listen, you know, I'll send the cop away, right? Maybe that makes people nervous. So I told the officer, no problem. Here's the serial number. Thank you. The cop leaves. Come back. She lets us search the house. No computer. Drive back. I get back in my car. The guy's like, I'm so sorry, man. I had no idea this would cost him. I mean, this is after five hours of this. He's like, I'm so sorry, man. I'm going to try to get your computer back. As soon as I drop him back to his house, the guy messages him. Hey, man, I can't believe you brought the police to my mom's house. That's not right, man. Da, 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 da. You're never getting this computer back. I'll just blow it up. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, this is unbelievable. I call my wife. She's like, where are you? I'm like, I'm in the police station. What? The computer, she couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. But the one thing there was a lot of things in this situation that were redeeming about it, but the one thing I think about when I go through these experiences is I'm about to preach. So I, I should expect these things to happen. It's like you're going to go preach to a group of people, potentially the gospel, call them to serious decisions. And so the devil understands the fact that, listen, if I let this guy sit down, follow his plan, sit down, I would have been home by Wednesday morning afternoon plenty of time get on the road on friday relax no i get back yesterday evening because of all of this ended up missing my flight so on and so forth and i was driving literally i went 48 hours two hours of sleep i slept in the back of the truck some random town in north carolina i don't even know where it was i just pulled over because i started swerving on the road and i said man this is crazy but lo and behold 
as I was driving here and I was thinking, Lord, I just need a good illustration to introduce the things that I, why I want to address this topic. And that's when the Lord brought it back to my mind. When I walked into that room in my friend's house, the box suggested that the computer was there. It was nicely arranged, set right next to my television set. Until you start lifting the box and you realize this is lighter than it's supposed to be. Then you open the box and you realize as you do a little bit further investigation, there's no computer in here. So it gives you a nice pretty picture that there's a computer in here. This is the real deal. What the outside projects is actually on the inside until you actually dig a little bit further. Until you actually examine the box and what's inside the box. And that's when I started thinking to myself, we come and we say this is Southeast Korean Adventist camp meeting. This is not Korean Baptist camp meeting. Amen? This is not Korean Pentecostal camp meeting. Yes or no? It's Korean Adventist camp meeting. So when we, when we sit down and think about the fact that we have a tendency sometimes inside the religion of Christ to have a nice box. And the box is sitting there and because the box is there, people assume it actually has the contents that it presents. People assume until you walk up and realize the owner of the computer, the owner of the contents finds out his contents are not present. So now it makes you wonder to yourself that how many quote-unquote Seventh-day Adventist young people are like that box in my friend's house. Jesus comes collecting his things, right? Because he is coming back to collect his things. Only to discover that all the time the box was sitting there, it was just giving you the illusion. Until upon further examination, you discover it doesn't have the contents you left it with. You lift the box and realize this thing is a little bit lighter than it's supposed to be. It's gone. It was all a deception. It was all a fraud. And I don't know about you, but we as a people subscribe to an idea that there are such things called last days. That means they're numbered. That means you can count them. And the last ones mean there's not many left. And if there's not many left and there's only a few days and we know that Jesus is coming back to look for make sure what's in the box is supposed to be there because guess what? I didn't drive off with the box. If it doesn't have the computer, I have no use for the box. The box is there to carry the contents. Nothing else. I don't keep boxes around because it looks nice and people, oh, he has an iMac. That's not the, the purpose of the box is to carry the computer. So in the same sense, the things that Christ has left us as a people, some hundred and something odd years ago, the question is, is it still in the box? I know some of the early Korean Adventist stories. I've listened to the stories of people who were faithful to the message in the midst of crazy, crazy, crazy circumstances of opposition. They had every reason that anyone else in this room would have said, you can't blame him considering what he suffered. And some of those people are your grandfathers. 
And some of those people are your great-grandfathers or your great-grandmothers or your great-aunts or cousins. And yet here we lie today and thinking what my grandmother, what my great-grandmother, grandfather passed down is the content still in the box. Is it still in the box? Or to discover it's empty. It gave the appearance, come to camp meeting, go to church every Sabbath, make sure you attend Sabbath school. But you do your things just like my friend. Take the computer, leave the box. And go use it for what you want to do. Until he comes back looking for his. And now it's too late because the person you gave it to has no intention of returning. Oh, I can get it back. No problem. Just let me make a couple phone calls. It seems so easy, right? Now he's looking at potential jail time and his friend. After a certain amount of money is stolen, it considered a felony. A felony is a minimum one to three years in prison. We're not talking about county jail. Not to mention other issues that go with that. I want to talk to you tonight about a different perspective about what is an Adventist. I begin as I transition now to asking the question, how can we be sure when we leave these ca this camp meeting that if Jesus comes or if you die before the Lord comes, Jesus will find the contents that are supposed to be in the box. The question is, what are those contents? What are those contents? But too many times when we talk about being Adventist, what is an Adventist? Who's a true Adventist? Who's not a real Adventist? You know, we see a person out there grubbing on all kinds of meat, and we say, man, this brother's a carnivore. He's not a real Seventh-day Adventist. Or, you know, she eats shrimp every now and again. Not a real Adventist. So you're telling me, as long as you're not eating shrimp, you're a good Adventist. And please believe, I'm not encouraging the eating of seafood. I'm highly allergic to it, actually. But what I am asking is, what is the defining thing? What separates a Seventh-day Adventist from everyone else? That's the fundamental question. And too many of us grow up in this church not knowing why we should stay. That is a fundamental issue. Time and time again, why should I stay? For some of us, it's because it's our community, it's our friends. It's the people we know. But let alone you get a nice professional job, build up a new set of friends, it's not as attractive anymore if it was just social. So, I begin with a statement from Ellen White. She says, a very clear, simple statement. I love this statement. She says, for all intents and purposes, Jesus was a Seventh-day Adventist. For all intents and purposes, Jesus was a seven-day Adventist. So intents and purposes is, well, whatever your intention is to try to describe what an Adventist is and whatever your purpose, 
in trying to carve out and say, well, would Jesus be a Seventh-day Adventist? If that's your purpose to, to find that out, she says, well, for all intents and for all purposes, Jesus was a Seventh-day Adventist. In other words, basically, he was an Adventist before there was an Adventist church. Basically, Jesus is the epitome of what a Seventh-day Adventist is and what a Seventh-day Adventist ought to be. That's a scary idea. We're not talking about Christian. She didn't say, for all intents and purposes, Jesus was a Christian. No. She said, for all intents and purposes, Jesus was a Seventh-day Adventist. That totally expands the mold. I could sit here and tell you and prove to you that Jesus believes everything we believe as a church. From the Gospels. I don't need to go to Revelation or Daniel. It's in the Gospels. He believes in two resurrections. He believes in the second coming. He believes in the Trinity. He believes in Christian development. He believes in the Bible as the sole authority. He believes in baptism by immersion. And I could go on and on through all 28 fundamental beliefs. Jesus believes them. And he taught them in the Gospels themselves. So now, this leaves us with a, a real question. Is Does that mean if you're like Jesus, then you're, you're a good Seventh-day Adventist? That sounds too simple. Sounds too basic. So, I want to use a story because stories have ways of kind of bringing our guard down. Right? I want you to take your Bibles. I hope you have them. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 23. It's very short. I know it's Friday night. People just drove in. So, I would not like to keep you too long if my preaching this can help it. Matthew chapter 23. Are you guys there? We're going to start in verse 32. The Bible says, this is Christ talking to the Pharisees, and Christ has had it. He's tried and tried to win these men, but he just cannot win them. And I want you to notice that Jesus uses harsh words as a last resort. That's a lesson to anyone. As a last resort, he knows he's about to die. He says, this is my last chance to get these men attention. So as a result, he uses these words, and this is towards the end of these hard, scathing rebukes. He says in verse 32, fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That on you may come all. How much? All the righteous blood shed on the earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See? Your house is left to you desolate. 
For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus recognizes the fact that there is a limit to God's mercy. Did you know that? There is a limit to God's mercy. Some of us probably put the limit a little bit sooner than God. Oftentimes we have a very strong self-hatred. And I find that to be very common in Asian culture. Unable to accept with confidence that we are accepted in the beloved. Unable to accept the potential that God has put into every man. Whether you're Asian or not. And in this self-hatred, we end up telling ourselves things we would never bear from someone else. You know, you, you think about a girl that wakes up in the morning, looks in the mirror and says, man, I'm so ugly. Or she's prettier than me. Now you can tell yourself that and somehow you will bear it. But if I walk up to you and say, you know, she's prettier than you. You're very ugly. They say, oh, that pastor's rude. He's unchristlike. Am I telling the truth? Yes or no? Yes. But why is it that she can tell herself that, but I can't tell her that? It's like this thing that we used to say growing up in the black community, that it's okay for each of us as black people to call each other the N-word, but if someone who's not black calls us the N-word, then all of a sudden we're up in arms, and this is a complete offense, this is racism. I'm like, you, you're saying the word like 60, 70 times a day, sometimes in one conversation. <laughs> this guy says it one time, and you say, well, it's different. He says it with a certain hatred in his heart and in his mind. And I said, so how is it that he can say a word with hatred behind him and you can say this word that reflects hatred to people you love? As if it's a sign that we're close. But Christ was not dealing with people who have a strong self-hatred. He was dealing with people that have a very strong self-love. And he says, you know, fill up then the cup of your father's guilt. He doesn't mean fathers as in the man who was there when you were born. He means fathers as in your ancestors. We're talking all the way back to Abraham. And he says, all these people before you, because he goes all the way back to righteous Abel. He says, all the righteous blood shed upon the earth. Why is he coming to these individuals with this? He tells them in the next verse, in verse 34, he says, Therefore, indeed, I send you, what? Prophets. He also sends them wise men. He also sends them scribes. And he says, Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. So notice, he says, I sent you prophets. I sent you wise men. I sent you scribes. Now, why does God send a prophet? That's the first question. Does anyone know the answer to that? Why does God send a prophet to his people? Just pretend like you're not Korean for two days. You can answer and respond. <laughs> Trust me, I've preached at many Korean functions. They just stare at you. <laughs> like they're reading your soul. Then you realize they're probably daydreaming or something. So why, would his, why does God send a prophet? To tell them a message and what would his message be if he's sending them a prophet? Huh? A warning of what? 
judgment and why why does he warn them that a judgment is coming what does he want to be prepared for the judgment he wants them to what repent which means to do what change direction <laughs> the literal Greek word means to change your mind but to change your thinking is automatically to change your behavior but literally the concept is listen every prophet you will find this word return return Jeremiah is filled with it because I mean the people were so far gone so when you look at a prophet when God raises up a prophet it's because his people started here and they ended up farther away from him than they ought to be and when they got so far God said alright I need to send a prophet to do what call them back you're far from me that's my message so the judgment is to let you know if you keep going this direction this is coming so he says, I send you prophets, plural. That means multiple times his people have been far from him. Have you ever been far from God? Maybe you drove to this camp meeting far from God. Maybe you've been far from God for a long time. Maybe you've been hiding among the trees of the garden. But you're far from God. Just because Adam and Eve were in Eden didn't mean they weren't lost. Environment doesn't save you and it is not a sign that you are saved How can you be in a perfect world and yet you are a sinner and you are lost? Even Lucifer sinned in heaven So some of us may think once I get to this place once I go to this church once I get this community Then I'm secure. No, you're not There was no security in that then you would think, oh, we were slaves in Egypt, we had it so hard, we were in bondage, and all of a sudden God delivered us, praise the Lord, and we crossed into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, abundance, prosperity, peace. And you would think, <laughs> there's no way you can stray from God, when the very ground you walk on is a sign of His blessing. Every seed you plant in the promised land was a reminder to you that you were a slave and I the Lord your God I delivered you but yet in all these blessings we still find ourselves like the old hymn says prone to wander Lord I feel it prone to leave the God I love Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that there is a war inside of our hearts. I know what it's like to study the Bible one day and to feel like God was speaking to you literally in the room. And the next day, to literally have no desire to open the Bible. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to come to a camp meeting, to hear a preacher, to feel the conviction in your heart, your heart rate go up, your breathing increases. You start sweating, you start getting nervous, you don't really know what's going on inside your physical body, but you can sense conviction. And everything in your heart says, whatever appeal he makes, you better respond. You weren't expecting it, you weren't looking for it, but God came and God encountered you. And God spoke to your heart and you stood up and you felt the burden lift off of your shoulders. You had finally come to Jesus, you took off your yoke. You decided to submit to him and now his yoke is easy and his burden was light. 
But then the next day, you got home from that camp meeting. Business as usual. No time with the Lord. No desire to pray. Despite your best intentions and plans and to-do lists and iPhone reminders. Nothing. I know what that's like. And so when we find ourselves drifting from God... I want you to know that God doesn't want to make it easy for us to be lost. Can you say amen? amen? When he says, I send you prophets, God doesn't want it to be easy for us to be lost. You know, my dad had a saying when I was a kid. I'm the oldest of seven children. And my third child, sibling, he uh, came home with some very low grades. And of course, we knew what that meant in our home. I mean, you're pretty much about to get a beating. <laughs> it's, it's over for you. P close of probation. Everyone just leaves the room and goes upstairs. <laughs> Whose report card is this? All right, pack up all your stuff. <laughs> See you later, man. Upstairs, lock the door. My dad stands there, belt in his hand. I'm just like, man, I'm so sorry. And so we went upstairs, and before we went upstairs, my dad's like, no, I need to talk to all of you. So we all sit down, and my dad, of course, goes to the same talk over and over and over. We've been hearing this since I was like nine. And after he finishes the talk, he looks at my brother, who's about to get his, and he says, listen, I need you to know something. If you're going to be my son, he says, to be as intelligent as you are, and to be as bright as you are, and to be as gifted as you are, I'm not going to make it easy for you to fail. He said, I will beat you all the way down. From a B, to a C, to a D, to an E, to an F, to a G. <laughs> because my dad looked at him and said, there's no way I can just let you hit the slopes and just take all your academic gifts and promise and potential and just waste it. Now, at the time, I wasn't a Christian, but once I became a Christian and I began to understand why God sends prophets and wise men, scribes, God is saying, listen, I'm not going to make it easy for you to be lost. And why God allows pain when we are disobeying Him, God doesn't want us to suffer. But He says, listen, I'm not going to make it easy for you to be outside the city of God. That's an encouraging thought to me. It was hard for my brother at the time, right? It doesn't feel good. The Bible says no chastisement for the moment is pleasure. No one enjoys that. But it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And if he doesn't chastise you, then you are not his son. It's a sign of a father. So Jesus says, I send you prophets for this purpose. But to get into the meat of this, in verse 37... He uses the illustration of a mother chicken. The Bible says, after Christ reiterates this point again, you who kill the prophets and stones those in verse 37 who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Now, when a mother hen has her chicks, she lets them feed. And after she lets them feed, she stands back away from her children. And she keeps her eyes up. She doesn't eat when they eat. 
As her eyes are up, she's looking for birds of prey, for hawks, for eagles, crows, any bird that could swoop down and grab her baby chicks. So as she looks up and she begins to realize that her vision is better than the chick's vision. She can see better, she can see farther, she can see clearer. Because if you understand, birds of prey can fly very high. And they can swoop down very fast. So as she looks up and all of a sudden, in the moment she sees a hawk, all of a sudden the hawk starts circling. And he starts making a sound because he recognizes this is what he's about to do. And as he starts circling, the mother hen issues a call with her voice. And every chick knows that when they hear that call, something in them. I don't know how she taught it to them. It's not like they had little chick school. And it was like, when you hear this, this means this. When you hear that, that means that. It's something that God put into the heart of chickens. That when they hear this call of the mother hen, they immediately come running. She spreads her wings and closes them over her chicks. And literally, it's like they just disappeared. You can watch this on YouTube. And as the chicks disappear under her wings, the, the hawk, no longer seeing the chicks, disappears. It's not going to try to pick up the mother hen. So it circles, circles, sees nothing, and it leaves. Why? Now, are there no chicks there? Of course there are. There are plenty of chicks there. But the problem is, the hawk cannot see them. All they see is the mother hen, right? And Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who killed the prophets and stoned those who are sent to you. He says, how often I would have gathered your children as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. Now you understand why Christ is saying what he's saying. He's saying, listen, I see danger coming. Because you know the next words are, see, I leave your house unto you, desolate. I see the hawk of judgment circling around this city. And as Jesus sat upon the Mount of Olives, looking down at this beautiful city with such rich history, as far back as David and Solomon, in its golden age, through Babylonian captivity, rebuilt by Ezra and Nehemiah. And now the city, there it is, having survived an enormous, terrible calamity of several other empires, now in Rome. And he sees, you know what? I see the hawk of judgment, and so he begins to issue a call. And in that call, the call is danger. I see danger. Not you see danger, I see danger. So as I issue that call, your response is to come and to go where? Under the wings. And as you come under the wings, you are now safe. So let me just drive to the points. The first thing is, is that today, you know, you have an enormous amount of criticism, speculation, distrust and opposition to the writings of Ellen White as a prophet. But you know, sometimes when the mother hen calls, when Jesus sends out a voice, sometimes his voice comes through prophets. But we don't like that voice. We like the people in the text 
we killed the prophets. But yet, there in that, vo there in that call is the mother hen saying, I see danger coming. So now I'm calling you to come to trust under my wings. You see, Ellen White is not about Ellen White. It's not about reading Desire of Ages and the Conflict of the Ages and the Testimonies. That's not what it's about. It's about issues of warning that Jesus saw danger coming to his people. And so he sent a prophet. And every word of Ellen White is to calling us to say, come back, you're getting far away. Especially after thousands of years of the Dark Ages. Now in that call that we are supposed to come back, the call is not to study harder. It is not to go out and exercise. It is not to go out and say, you know what? I know you hear the call, go vegetarian. No, the call is to come to trust under his wings. You cannot protect yourself. That is the inherent message of the experience. I wanted to gather you under my wings. As a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings and protects them. But you wouldn't come. You suffer destruction because of your refusal to come to trust under his wings. That is the bottom line. So now you ask yourself this question. What in the world does this have to do with being a Seventh-day Adventist? Well, you see, we like to talk about judgment. Yes or no? We do. We like to talk about judgment. We're living in the time of the judgment, the investigative judgment. And that there's another judgment coming. But before we get into that, we need to recognize that how did we know there was a judgment? Because who told us? Please respond. A prophet told us, right? Yes or no? So if a prophet told us, who sent the prophet? God did, right? And if Jesus sent the prophet, why does he send prophets? To what? To warn us. And what does he want us to do? To return and come where? Under his wings. The call to tell people that when we sound the message of judgment in our church, it is not to scare people. You need enough, you just need a little bit of fear of a hawk to decide to come to trust under your mother's wings. That's all you need. You don't need a lot of fear. But you recognize the call from the mother hen is not to say, start shaking on the ground and the little chick just goes frantic. Oh no, there's a hawk. Look, we already had the solution before I warned you. The same call that warns you that there's a judgment is the same call that's saying, come and trust under my wings. And the chicks that don't come to trust under her wings, guess what happens to them? They're what? Eaten up, destroyed, separated. And you know, guess what the word remnant means? Does anyone know? The word remnant, which we talk about this all the time, the remnant church, it means that which is left after separation, removal, or destruction. That which is left after separation, removal, or destruction. 1844 was not about putting fear in the hearts of God's people. 1844 was about Jesus making a call. It's time for you to come to trust under my wings. And after that hawk of judgment passed, all those churches rejected that message. 
all those people that went back to the regularly scheduled programs and rejected the message that Christ had moved. All of that time, it was a simple, basic call. You need to come to trust under my wings, period. You won't make it on your own. So now, there's someone in this room that is facing such a spiritual battle in their lives that they are 100% confident, along with me, that they will not make it on their own. There is someone in this room that is battling with something that they have lost for a very long time. We used to say, you lost the battle, but you haven't lost the war. That's what we used to say. But in our spiritual lives, we lose the battles, and we feel like we're losing the war. And it seems like the devil is just advancing into our lives, one step at a time, one area at a time. And in those areas, you say, why then am I feeling compelled to come to Korean camp meeting? Why am I feeling compelled to listen to the sermon or audio verse? Why did I run into this old friend who started preaching to me? Telling me about how God changed his life. It's because Jesus is sending you. It's the voice of the mother hen. And they say, we as a people began because we were the ones that decided to come to trust under his wings. That's why the church was started. When we say the remnant, this is what's left. After the separation, after the removal, after the destruction. I'm going to clarify that more tomorrow morning. But I just want to focus on the very simple, basic thing that makes us Seventh-day Adventists. The thing that makes us Seventh-day Adventists is that we have come to answer the mother hen's call. We fully, 100%, have come to trust under his wings. But you see, the problem is, we're like a box with no computer. We like to look like we've come to trust under his wings, don't we? I'm almost done. Let me be more specific. If we really trust under his wings, this directly impacts our concept of how we deal with sin. When we realize we have weaknesses and struggles, do you know that when you, when Jesus warns you, you know there's something in your heart that lets you know when temptation is coming? You kind of know that you're already planning sin before you do it. You just kind of make the right decisions that just set it up perfectly. The stars are all aligned. And you're thinking to yourself, how did I get into this situation? It's like, you know, young men come to me and they'll say, oh man, you know, Sebastian, I got this girl pregnant. I don't know how this happened. I can tell you how this happened. I wasn't even there. I don't even have to have been in the same country. I could tell you how this happened. What do you mean you don't know how this happened? It's the same thing we do with sin. We come back into the room, we kneel down, we're like, oh Lord, you know, forgive me, I'm doing it again. I don't know how this could happen. God is like, of course you know how this happened. You planned it. Nobody gets a young girl pregnant by accident. Everything that leads up to pregnancy can't be an accident. Oh, I accidentally called her into my room. I accidentally began to be attracted to her. Accidentally. 
So much intention in every decision. So now look back at the trail that led to your sins and my sins. And look at the steps of intention. And then we come to God like shocked. Lord, I don't know how this happened. Of course you know how this happened. So if we know how this thing happened, it's because when Jesus gives us that sense, that conscience that says, the hawk of temptation is circling. You know what our response is? Is it to run, to come under his wings? It's not. Oh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and uh, I'm not going to answer his phone calls. Yeah, I'm just going to delete his number from my phone. Then I'll be fine. That'll get rid of all temptation. No, it won't. All of a sudden, you run into him the next day and you're thinking to yourself, how did this happen? I deleted his number from my phone or her number and lo and behold, we ran into each other again. Why would you be surprised? Don't you know the devil is alive? <laughs> then after we, we, we go through these circumstances, we say to ourselves, man, I don't know how this happened. I deleted his phone number. I did this. I did that. Listen, brothers and sisters, if we really come to trust under his wings, we know exactly how to respond when temptation comes. The answer is not to sit and create all these little, these little like false protective walls. I tell people, when we, when we set these boundaries, sometimes we honestly think like a lion is roaring and you're like, oh yeah, let me set up this plastic wall. This will keep the lion out. That's what we're doing. The devil can break through that very easily. You know why? Because in my nature, I want to do the very thing he wants me to do. The only brick wall to keep a lion out is Christ. But we don't want to kneel down and pray. We don't want to surrender our desires to God. But let me get more specific. Even financially. Make sure I have to work, kill myself, kill my spiritual life, just so I can finish medical school, or dental school, or law school, or CPA, or my MBA. Graduated summa cum laude, magna cum laude, top 10 in my class, but I have no relationship with God. You know why we did all of that? Because we don't trust under His wings. Many of us trust under the wings of education. We come to trust under the wings of money. And we think, oh, if I have this, then I'll be safe. You fool. Do you think the wings of money will protect you from the devil? That hawk <laughs> will take you and the money. You and your degree. How is it that we sacrifice all this thinking... Oh, if I have this, then I'll be safe. No, you won't. You know, it's, it's, it's not a surprise that many times when, when I counsel Korean and Asian youth, not just Korean. I was recently in Cambodia last year. And I was surprised to see it's the same. I'm usually counseling them 99% of the time. It's, this is how the counseling session goes. Hey, you know, Brother Sebastian, thank you for talking to me. I appreciate the conversation. No problem, man. So how can I help you? Never a biblical question. 99% of the time. It's not a relationship. is maybe the 1%. 
it always starts with, you know, I've been thinking and praying and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I sense that God's calling me to do this. But, you know, in Asian culture, they have to explain to me the culture like I haven't heard this before. <laughs> in Asian culture, you know, as a, as a young person, you know, you have obligations to your parents, to your grandparents and all these different things. I have to do these things. And I said, so what are you, what are you asking me? I'm just trying to figure out how do I, what do I do in this? How do I handle this? I mean, I sense this from God. I sense that Jesus is calling me to do this. You know, even in your sermon today, I came up for your appeal. But at the same time, I'm trying to, I'm wrestling right here. And I'm like, so are you asking me, should you do the will of God? Are you asking me, is there a way for you to do the will of God in such a way that you won't have the conflict with your culture and your parents? And I get the same look every time. Well, I guess, yeah, that would, that's something, man, you say it like that, it doesn't sound good. <laughs> when I say it like that, is there a better way for me to put this? And I'm sitting down with, with these young people, male, female, married, unmarried, and I'm looking at them and I'm saying, listen to me. You have two choices. You can either trust in the affirmation of your parents or you can trust under his wings. Those are your choices. You go this route, you are trusting in something else. You can't run from this. When the Lord is calling you, and you sense it in your heart, and you go the opposite direction, you know where you will end up. In the bottom of the sea. That's where you're going to end up. And all you're going to be thinking to yourself is, I tried to run, I tried to run, and you only make it worse. You end up destroying other people at risk. That's what Jonah did. You put yourself at risk. And you end up disappointing them anyway. <laughs> because eventually you will surrender to God or you will go crazy. I'm going to tell you right now, you can't survive conviction for years. And so I look in this room and I imagine it's probably true of some people here. Someone's grappling with, these are my expectations. This is the calling I sense from God. And just as I told the young men who took my computer, who said, man, I'll do whatever it takes to get your computer back by any means necessary. I looked at him and I said, don't be a fool. I said, don't be a fool. I said, you continue to do things that are against God. I'm going to tell you right now, if God is against you, no one can be for you. Just think about that statement. If God is against you, there's no one in the world that can be for you. You can't be delivered from the, His hands. God can take everything you have. House, family, money, job, car, health, your mental stability. We all know people who committed suicide who went crazy. Some people went fanatic. And some people who left the church. We all know them. So let's not kid ourselves tonight. We didn't come here to just have intellectual exercise. We came here for hard work. And the very basis of being a seven-day Adventist is learning to trust in Christ in every area of life. So you don't cut corners for money. You don't lower your standards just to start a marriage or a relationship. You don't surrender yourself to lust and desire. Thinking something's going to come out of it. 
pornography addiction, masturbation. I'm not an idiot. Because I see young people all over the world with the same stuff. You are not the only one tonight. And the opportunity is that you don't have to continue losing that battle. You don't have to continue sinking lower and lower. But it gets harder and harder to keep up the fake guys that I'm spiritual. That I'm actually interested in the things of God. You can't maintain a double life. You will break. And when you break, you're going to take everyone near you with you. Because they were depending upon you. And that's why the pressure is so heavy. Listen, I've seen it. People literally snap. Because the pressure. And Christ is saying, listen. It's time for you to hear my voice calling you. To come to trust under my wings. And to trust under the wings of Christ is to put your confidence, your faith, Everything you have and everything you are in His protection. Everything you are and everything you have in His protection. This is where I want to end and make my invitation. One of my favorite hymns is Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. just to take him at his word. You know, Louisa Stewart, who wrote that song, she went to the beach with her husband and her daughter. As they were sitting at the beach, they saw a man drowning out in the ocean through the undertow. Her husband immediately jumped up like the good man he was, and he jumped into the water to try to save the man, only to be sucked under with the men. Can you imagine watching your husband and your father die before your very eyes? And back then, that was your only way to provide. So as they walked back from the beach, realizing they didn't even see the body, it didn't even wash up on shore. Get home, they think, well, we have to ration the food. So they start dividing the rations to minimize what they eat so they can preserve it as long as possible. And in one day, it was the last literal morsels of food they had. Her and her daughter said their grace. They thanked the Lord that they had food. And they enjoyed their food. After they ate their food and they thought, well, tomorrow we don't know what it's going to bring. So all of a sudden, as she was washing the dishes, thinking in her mind you could feel the stress of a mother, of a woman who lost her husband recently, you're dealing with the grief and now you have to figure out how to provide at the same time in a culture that won't let you work. She gets a knock at the door. As the knock at the door continues again, she decides to go open the door, she checks, someone left a pie at her doorstep. So she took the pie inside and said, wow, Someone brought a supply. She put it over there on the counter and went back to washing the dishes. Praise the Lord. We got a pie. As she kept washing the dishes, another knock came to the door. She opened the door. It was a huge thing of potatoes. 
So she took the potatoes in, brought them into the house. This was enough to last them for months. She thanked the Lord, went back to washing the dishes. There was another knock at the door. <laughs> By this time, you start expecting, okay, Lord, what are you doing? She goes to the door, loaves of bread and flour. Takes it, brings it inside the house. Before you know it, they had fruits, they had vegetables. People just brought this. She didn't even ask. After she put all the food away, their cupboards were overflowing. This is the goodness of Jesus. Then she goes back to her room, puts her daughter to sleep. After they had a piece of pie. And she sits down, burning that candle at her desk. And she was so overjoyed that she began to write a song. And that song said, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know, thus saith the Lord Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him. Or and or. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh for grace to trust him more. And my favorite is the last verse. She says, I'm so glad I learned to trust him. Precious Jesus, Savior friend. And I know that thou art with me and wilt be with me till the end. I want to make an invitation for someone to prove Jesus tonight. Because that's what it means to be Seventh-day Adventist. Someone who's proved Jesus over and over. And they can go out and say, look, I'm glad I learned to trust him. Notice the word learned. It's not going to happen overnight. Don't expect an emotional change. Don't expect all of a sudden to leave this room, respond to the appeal, and poof, all the problems disappear. It's not. We have to learn to trust Him. But as we continue to prove Him, we will find that it is sweet to trust in Jesus. And eventually, we'll be glad that we learn to trust Him. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the simplicity of this illustration. Thank you, Father, for how you have spoken to our hearts and aroused us to a sense of our need. Jesus was a Seventh-day Adventist, and Jesus was fully dependent upon God. He trusted him for everything. Asked for guidance in everything. And he rested his soul even in his darkest moments. He committed his spirit unto God. Now, Lord, tonight there's someone that has made the mistake of trusting in the wrong wings. They are under the wings of riches. They're under the wings of education. They're under the wings of position or knowledge or philosophy. 
or even family or culture. And they're trusting under these wings that these things will protect them. But Lord, perhaps you've already shown them the error of their ways. And so tonight, if there's someone here that says, I have been trusting under the wrong wings. And tonight, I want to make a decision to respond to Jesus' call. He sees the hawk of Satan in my life. He sees the hawk of judgment, the hawk of temptation, the hawk of discouragement and of despair and of depression circling around my life. And tonight, he's warned me and he's saying, listen, don't try to do it in your own strength. Don't try to fight these things. Just come to trust under my wings. And I want you to find that it is sweet to trust in Jesus. Is there at least one person in this room that has made that mistake that I have made? And they want to say, Lord, no more. I want to answer Jesus' call to come to trust under his wings. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. Wherever you are, whoever you are. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. You know who you are. Jesus is speaking to you. You say, I'm not trusting in this anymore. I'm going to trust in Jesus. I just invite you to stand. I'm not going to prolong this. I'm not looking for numbers. I'm just looking for sincerity. Someone who sincerely says, Lord, I've been misguided. I've been looking for other things to protect me, to guide me, to bring me peace, to bring me rest. And I'm not doing that anymore. I'm coming to trust under his wings. Is there anyone else, before I pray, invite you to stand to your feet. Say, I hear your voice calling me, Lord. And I'm not trusting in this anymore. I'm coming to trust under your wings. Mighty God, everlasting Father. What a God that you are, that you would make it difficult for us to be lost. That God doesn't just sit and idly watch us slip into oblivion to being destroyed. But we serve a God that wants to make it nearly impossible to be lost. And so, Lord, you brought this meeting tonight for these people who have stood. They hear your voice calling them and recognizing, listen, what makes me a Seventh-day Adventist isn't just the doctrines themselves. The doctrines are a reflection of my trust in Jesus and what he believes and what he teaches. It's not just going to this particular facility Saturday after Saturday. It's because I trust in Jesus and his example. And so, Lord, I pray that whatever wings they've trusted in, I pray that you would speed them to your wings tonight. And I ask, Lord, that each one who has stood, that they would leave this place with a song in their heart, that it is sweet to trust in Jesus. Lord, that they would be the ones that would bring a message to say, I'm so glad that I've learned to trust him. And that Jesus would be precious to them. And that it would be contagious in their churches. Thank you, Father, for how you've led us. How you continue to speak to us. And we trust that you will speak to us again tomorrow. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
God bless you. Um, I was uh, asked to let you know that uh, tomorrow morning at 7, um, I'll be doing, I'll be up for an early morning devotion. Anyone that the Lord somehow just didn't let you sleep and you happen to get ready early, please join us. Will it be here? Over at the, the cafeteria? Okay. Jimmy will give you the, the info. But yeah, we'll be there 7 o'clock early morning worship time um, and we'll be addressing a, a slightly different topic but nevertheless we will be into the word and have some prayer time as well so I would invite you to be there I will be there by God's grace and through his strength amen so have a good night this media was brought to you by audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more if you would like to know more about audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.